It's a, it's a strange scene that we're presented with in uh, this, this last day of Christmas in this gospel lesson. Um, Jesus is 12 years old. He's in the temple in Jerusalem, and he is, he's speaking with the Bible experts. The, the hymn calls them the doctors of the law, but really what it means is, you know, these, these are people who are experts in the Bible. Uh, they, they probably had Genesis through Deuteronomy memorized, literally, word for word. That, that was part of the, uh, the training for the Pharisees and the Sadducees, that they would know every word. And, and it, I, I heard once that uh, when they would copy the Hebrew Old Testament, you know, the Hebrew Bible, that when you got done, what you did was you counted each letter of the alphabet in the whole thing, and if it didn't add up, you tossed it and started over. I mean, that, that's how seriously, you know, they, they took God's word. And, and these are people who really, really knew the scriptures. And, and there's Jesus standing there with them, holding his own in, in, in conversation, asking hard questions, giving good answers. But part of what makes this reading special to us, I think anyhow, is that... In all of Jesus' biographies, these, these books that we call the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these, these histories of his life, they contain so little of his childhood. You know, you think, think through as you, uh, as you know the story. We have his birth. You know, he's... You know, little teeny tiny baby, he's born. That's kind of his contribution to the story uh, at that point. And then eight days later, he's circumcised. Um, that's what the funny letters actually say there, the, the circumcision of Christ. Um, and Jesus' contribution to that was basically his presence again, right? He wasn't like, hey, mom, dad, I think it's eight days. It's time to go get me circumcised. You know, He's just kind of, this is normal childhood stuff for a good Jewish boy. And then after a few more days, at 40 days old, Mary and Joseph bring Jesus to the temple to have him dedicated because every firstborn son was to be redeemed. Every firstborn male belongs to the Lord. And so a sacrifice was to be offered for Jesus, uh, and, and as he's there, these two old saints come forward. They recognize Jesus as the Messiah, as the Savior who God had promised. You know, you might remember one of his name is Simeon, and, uh, and Simeon had been promised that he would not die until he saw the Lord's Christ. And I... I don't understand how he knew to be in that temple that day, how he knew that was the child, but he comes forward and, Lord, now you let your servant go in peace. Your word has been fulfilled. My own eyes have seen the salvation that you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Just this, this beautiful moment and, and, and then there's Anna, 
who was also in the temple, an elderly lady, somewhere, I mean, 80 years old. And if you're 80, I'm not saying you're, well, if the shoe fits, wear both of them. Uh, but uh, at that time, average lifespan is like 40 years. So if you're 80, you're ancient. Okay, and she's living in the, the temple. She's been a widow for a long time, and she's just dedicated her life to, to prayer and service in the temple, and she sees Jesus, and she comes, and, and oh my goodness, and she tells everyone about this child. And once again, Jesus' contribution to the story is he was there. You know, he just... You know, and again, this is normal childhood stuff. You know, and, and then there's the story that, that we love of the three wise men. This, this picture was done by Tassat. Uh, I, I, that might not be the right way to say his name. If so, I apologize. But uh, what I love about this picture is, yeah, you, you have the three wise men right up front, but you have this whole entourage behind them. Because we assume there were three wise men because there were three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But uh, we actually don't know that there were three of them. And, and this artist imagines a whole bunch of them coming to bring the gifts to this newborn king uh, that, that you know, he was probably you know, a little bit older how many of you have wise men in your nativity scenes? Okay, that's wrong. Don't do that. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, it, 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 but historically, you know, Jesus was probably somewhere between one and two years old. And, and so actually one of the things that we do at our house is, is we take the wise men and we put them on the opposite side of the room. Um, you know, and, and if you can figure out which side it is, you know, the east and uh, put them far to the east, well, that would be really appropriate because they came from the east. But, but these guys, they, they, they somehow recognized by looking at the stars that, that a king had been born. You know, and really, a lot of what Jesus does in this story is left to our imaginations. The wise men come. They offer their gifts. They're warned in a dream to go home by a different way. Joseph has a dream. Take the child. Flee. Herod is coming to kill him. That was actually the gospel lesson last week, wasn't it? The slaughter of the innocents. Sad, sad uh, part of this story of, of God's salvation coming into the world and how this world continually resists God's work, his love, and his salvation. But now finally, we find Jesus at about 12 years old. And he seems kind of like a precocious 12-year-old boy. He, he's, he's there and in the temple and he's having these conversations. And what's the significance of this? Well, I think that when we look at Jesus' life, there are a couple things that, that, that we should grab onto. Like the hymn said, you know, that, that he is our childhood pattern. That we see things that, that kind of touch our lives as well. You know, he, he was circumcised at, at eight days old. 
We were baptized, many of us, when we were little infants. And and circumcision in in the Old Testament operated very much the same as, as baptism. That you were included in God's covenant. That you became part of his people. They're in Jerusalem celebrating a festival, the Passover. Well, the Passover was the meal that Jesus was celebrating years later when he instituted the Lord's Supper. And we have that that connection of remembering God's salvation and receiving his forgiveness. Jesus is about 12 years old. Somewhere around 12 years old is when we do confirmation and we start to take responsibility for our faith. You know, the picture that we see of Jesus here is as of a child that is being raised in the faith who is growing in wisdom and in stature. You know, to grow in stature as a child, it doesn't take a lot of effort, does it? It might take a lot of food, but it doesn't take a lot of effort. But to grow in wisdom has everything to do with these, these parts of Jesus' life that connect him to God's word that connect him to God's grace and his salvation. And this is why we raised raised our children this way, bringing them to Sunday school and having them baptized and bringing them to confirmation and all of those things because they're going to grow. Some of you parents out there, you know that better than I do. But to grow in wisdom requires that this, this connection to God's word, to his grace. And then we find Jesus in this account as a child who wanders off from mom and dad because he's so interested in what's going on in his father's house. It is a beautiful thing when children take interest in the faith. Frankly, it's a beautiful thing when anyone takes interest in the faith, in hearing God's word, in discussing what the scriptures say, and for people to gather around and, and, and to remember God's salvation is a good thing. But what's pretty cool about this moment is we actually kind of catch a glimpse in this child of the man that he would become. And a picture of his ministry. Because this is not the last time Jesus would go to the temple. For most of his life, every year, he would go to the temple to celebrate Passover. There are many moments where he speaks with people in the temple, recorded in the Gospels. The last week of his life, every day, he was in the temple talking with the the priests and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the same group that he was talking to when when he was 12 years old. But when he was 12, they were pretty thrilled. And when he was 33, they weren't. It's an interesting situation. I, I, I found myself wondering as I was working on this, I wonder if any of those who were there 21 years ago 
We're there again, crying out, crucify him. These teachers that he talked to, the, 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 the Pharisees and the Sadducees, you know, when he was young, they were so impressed. And when he grew up, they were so confounded by him. And, and the timing, Passover, you know, the offering of the sacrifice, this one-year-old lamb, John's recognition of Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Passover is all about God's salvation. Jesus comes to Jerusalem to bring salvation by dying on the cross, by giving himself as the sacrifice. And then, did you, did you notice how long Jesus was lost? Three days. What a neat parallel. Have any of you ever lost your child? You know, you're all better parents. Good job. Um, <laughs> it's a scary thing when your child wanders off. Your mind goes to some pretty terrible places. You know, and I've had conversations with parents who, who have lost children. They're like, yeah, what if somebody took them? You know, and, and literally, what if they're dead? They're probably not dead, ma'am. But there is that sense. And when Jesus went to Jerusalem when he was 33, he was dead. And he was lost to his family, to his friends, to his followers for three days until he was raised. In our reading from Ephesians 1, it talks about what Jesus did here in Jerusalem, connected to the temple as what was necessary to bring us adoption into God's family, to bring us redemption through his blood. And as we become adopted and, and, and as we are redeemed, we receive an inheritance. And so as I look at Jesus sitting there in his father's house, it's not that you know, Jesus doesn't own the house. It's his father's house. It's his inheritance. But now you and I are adopted in Christ into that same family. So we can rightly say that this, this is our father's house. That this is the place where we come to receive his gifts. This is the place where we come and we meet God better, where God promises to be in order to meet us through his word and through his sacraments to pour out his love on us, to give us forgiveness for our sins, to teach us, to shape us. Because I don't know about you, now that my kids are getting a little bit older, I like it when they come home. And I kind of dig it when they leave. <laughs> You're not meant to live in your father's house all the time. 
You go out. But boy, oh boy, it can be a beautiful thing to come home, to receive the gifts in the presence. That's P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E. And that's what this is all about. Being with God where he meets us to give us those gifts that shape us and form us so that when we go back out into the world, we live as his children. To be his people in this world. Knowing that this is always here to welcome us back. And to pour out his forgiveness and life in us. So it's 2020. And as I think about a new year, one of the things that I really would encourage you to do is to think about how often do you visit your father's house? What do you get here? What are the gifts that your heavenly father would bestow on you when you come here? I think a lot of times people come to church and they're like, well, the third commandment says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, therefore it is my duty. And it is. But there's more than duty here. There's love and grace and a father who welcomes you back to pour his blessings into your life for Jesus' sake. So come to the Father's house with Jesus in his mercy. Amen.